you would turn to Luke chapter 17, be reading verses 5 through 10. Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. If you'd like to follow along on the Pew Bibles, will be page 926 and page 927. An apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you have commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. It encourages us that you're here. We want to be an encouragement to you. We have done what is our duty. We have done what is our duty. Can you say that? I hope a few times this morning in your mind you'll repeat that. That you'll think. That you'll evaluate. That you'll see if really, in fact, have you done what is our duty. You see, this idea of duty is the very idea, even from the original language, it's the idea of indebtedness. It's the idea of I owe someone or something. Sometimes it's even translated in the New Testament as guilt. In other words, guilt is saying, I'm the one responsible. Have you done your duty? We understand that when we get married, along with that comes a duty to the spouse. We understand when we have children, that along with parenthood comes a duty that we owe to our children. How do you view Christianity? Do you see it as perhaps some... That it's a great social network. You found out that there you can find some really good people that will be really good friends. And you've just concluded that you like Christianity because of the social network. Do you see it as a good place to volunteer? We all are looking for purpose in our life. We want to know that there's something worth doing. And so in that, we, we found out we can really find some meaningful service. I like to volunteer there. Would truth be known, are we here because we believe that our children learn some very good morals and we don't want to see them make some tragic mistakes in their life and so it's just a moral compass and that's it. Or is it that we grew up in a religious home and it's our habit and it's what we like and we want to be religious? Friends, I need to think this morning 
What is my duty? Before we get any further into the lesson, I want to remind you of a couple of great things. One, we are thankful uh, to be able to announce that Cam Burgess was baptized Friday night. Uh, Tony, who read scriptures just a moment ago, Tony Eeks, one of our deacons, he baptized Cam. Cam had been studying and thinking about this for a while, and we rejoice with, with Tim and Candy uh, upon their decision. I believe Cam is back in the back. You want to raise your hand? Everybody be sure and, and congratulate him, and let's celebrate with the heavenly host. Uh, we're thankful for that great commitment. Second, I want to, and, and I've got to like discipline myself right now, or I'd really take too long on this next announcement also, okay? But I want to remind us of two things that's very special to this congregation that's coming together for us to be able to support. This Thursday evening at 6.30 will be our Latin America missions dinner here at Mount Juliet. For 20 years as a congregation, we've been involved in this work, and for 10 years, especially in the area of El Salvador. And then for 10 years, we've been in a relationship with Phil Wagner, and nine years as our youth minister, and now for the past year, supporting him as a missionary. And this Thursday evening would be a wonderful time to come together to blend those two things that we love dearly and support them dearly. And so if you want a delicious meal and you want a great program, be here at 6.30 and, and hopefully the things will get underway and well underway by 7 o'clock. And we look forward to the great good that's there. Now, Phil did not ask me to mention this next thing, but as a friend, I want to mention this to you also. Keep in mind that all of the donations that will be given this Thursday evening will be for Latin America missions. Tremendous work to support. But you may also be thinking, I want to support Phil personally. The monies given there will not be the support to him as a missionary. And so you may want to come Thursday night with two checks. And, and you may want to make sure that you give some to Phil for the support that, that he is raising right now is the time of year that he's raising support for the next 12 months. And it would be wonderful as a congregation if most of us would give at least a few dollars and some of us would give more than a few dollars. Uh, it would be a great investment in a great man. Let's do what we can do. Perhaps we might even conclude today that, that that's part of our duty. You know, George Washington was the one who gave out the first merit award. It was a badge of merit given to a soldier for his sacrifice and his courage that was shown during military conflict. He gave this out in, in August 7th of 1782. Medals of honor have followed, and the particular medal of honor is one that is esteemed very highly. Salvatore Giante was given an award this past year, September of 2010, by President Obama at the White House. He served in the Afghanistan war. And while he was there, he made some sacrifices that were just almost unthinkable. This morning, for time's sake, I do not have time to tell you the elaborate story of what he did whenever his squadron was ambushed the sacrifices that he made as he risked his life over and over for the well-being of his squadron. And in addition to that, the clear thinking and the very decisive leadership that he gave, and even in the midst of all of that, pausing to offer comfort 
and help to those who were confused or afraid. It is a tremendous story. And when his captain sent out word that he wanted to nominate him for this high honor, I'd like to read to you, I think I'd like to read to you, Well, let me give you some quotes that are not direct quotes. That's interesting. I thought, okay. Uh, What was interesting was when he was first nominated, what he said to his captain was, was he said that he was not worthy of such an honor because, and then he, he slanted it, if you will, and said, if you're willing to honor every military man and woman that steps out into the unknown, he said, on that, and, and, and deem them as heroes, he said, on that, I could accept the award if they accept it with me. And then he made a beautiful analogy. And he said, what took place that night of our ambush was just a portrait. It was a portrait of an ambush. And he said, my brush stroke was not any greater or any more important than anyone else's brush stroke in that ambush. He said, I did my part and they did their part. And together we created that portrait of survival and fighting. He said, I am an average soldier and I do an average job that is my duty. And then he said, to receive the medal of honor is a slap in the face of all that I believe in. But as an obedient soldier, he showed up and he received the medal from President Obama. And even after that, he still echoed the same sentiments. What is your duty? As a Christian, as a child of God, one enlisted in battle, what is your duty? Would you open your Bibles and let's go to this beautiful text of Luke the 17th chapter. And will you walk with me for a few, I I hate to call them introductory Verses, because they're as important as the verses that we're going toward. But this morning, since the theme is on our duty, I want to use them as an introduction to help us understand more about the duty that the Lord gives us. Some have said these verses, which by the way, we just have capably read first, verse 5 through 10. We're going to back up and, and look at some things, verses 1 through 10. And what is interesting is that there are three teachings here that seem disjointed. Some have even said, there's no way Jesus linked these together. I wonder why Luke did when he was recording them. I choose to believe that Jesus did link them together because there is something powerful that links all three of these together. And it's the duty of a soldier that is humble. What is our duty? We cannot fulfill the duty that God has given us to fulfill if we are not humble. Let's notice verse 1 and 2 and notice the first part of our humble duty. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. You see that first phrase again, it's impossible that no offenses should come? That's a fact. You see how the next phrase begins, but woe to him through whom they come? That's a warning. Do you see what he's doing in these first two verses? He says, let me give you a fact. Are you a disciple of mine? Somebody's going to offend you. It is impossible to be on this world and not be offended. It's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not be offended. Somebody's going to say what they shouldn't say. They're going to do what they shouldn't do. Some are going to be malicious. Some are just going to make mistakes. But listen, offenses will come. Warning! Don't be the one that does it. (laughs) Now wait a minute. You just said some are even going to be mistakes. Jesus says, do not be the one who does it. Well, Jesus, let's just say I do slip up and I do it. Uh, Can you tell me how bad it would be? He says, sure. I can tell you a better situation. Okay, I like to be optimistic. What's a better situation? He says, can you imagine someone tying a huge millstone around your neck and throwing you into the sea? How well could you swim? You know what the answer is. You're going to end up drowning on the bottom of the sea. Jesus says, that's your better situation. It'd be better for that to happen to you than for you to be the one that is creating offense. Now you can imagine. Think about Jesus teaching you this. That's what he's doing right now this morning through his word. That ought to leave us saying, that's tough. What if if I make a mistake? What, What if I'm the one that creates an offense? And then he says, let me give you a second teaching. Now, at first, this may seem disjointed, but I think we can see how this links so closely together. Let me go ahead and give you the link. What if someone offends you? Do you immediately say, I need to tie a millstone around your neck and I need to throw you in the bottom of the water? Because that's what happens whenever people offend people. It's a horrible thing. So now he goes from the personal responsibility, don't offend anyone. And the very next passage, he's going to say, now be very gracious towards other people. Let's read how he says that. Look at verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Now he gives an if statement. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Lord says, not only... I want you to realize how serious you must take your responsibility of your influence upon others. Verse 1 and 2, what you say, what you do, your example. Don't ever be a stumbling block to someone else. Don't let someone else say, well, I do it because they do it. Well, I do it because they're the one that got me into this. Well, back when I used to be good friends with them, that's what we always did. And that be the stumbling block. He says, don't be. But now the second thing that he says is that when someone else does sin, you're not the stumbling block. They've sinned and maybe their sin has caused an offense. Let's pause here for a moment. Isn't it easy to forgive someone when it hasn't felt offensive to you? You know when those those occasions where someone says to you, hey, can you forgive me for so-and-so? And you're kind of thinking, I don't know what you meant. I didn't really, and they're like, you didn't catch that the other day when, no, I didn't catch that at all. And how easy at that moment to say, but listen, I forgive you. Isn't that easy? 
When there's been no pain associated with it, when, there, when there's been no offense felt at all. Now, here's the question. How quickly are we to say, I forgive you when there is pain associated with it? When there is the loss of, of heart, of money, of energy, of reputation, when there's significant losses, how easy is it then to say, listen, I forgive you. You see, instead of having that mindset that says, I tell you what I need to do, I need to tie this, this stone around your neck and I need to throw you over, the Lord says, no, that's what you need to know when it comes to whether or not you're going to offend. But what you need to know when others offend is you need to know that you need to be ready to forgive. When they repent and they ask you forgive and they walk up the second time in the same day and they tell you that they've repented and they ask for forgiveness, you forgive them again. No Jew could imagine doing this more than three times in a day. And here Jesus teaches, I want you to do it seven times within the same day. You know that there's not a magical number to that seven. He's giving an example that probably would never happen where the same person will return and ask forgiveness seven times in the same day. The point is be limitedless about this. But even more than that, the point is the attitude. Be merciful. Be gracious. Just as your Lord is always willing to forgive, always be willing to forgive. Now notice how both of these take humility. It takes humility to live your day each day being concerned about whether or not you're a stumbling block to someone else. It takes humility to live each day to say, if someone has sinned, I must forgive them. Now, with that in mind, that's probably why in verse 5, if you have been thinking honestly about this, you probably feel the very same way that the apostles felt at this time. Notice this isn't just any disciples. These are the apostles. These are the twelve. These are the ones that have already made great growth in their life. And notice what they say in verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Where does that statement come from? I would guess, I would suppose it would only be make sense to reason that it comes from the first two teachings. Lord, you want me to go through life and not be an offense to people? I need my faith to grow, Lord. You want me to forgive someone over and over in the same day? I need my faith to grow, Lord. And tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to look a little more in depth, not only about increasing faith, but we're going to look at the things that whittle away and erode faith. We're going to look at the times where Jesus said to these men, Oh, you of little faith. In other words, if we can stop doing the things that erode our faith and we can continue to do the things that build our faith, we ought to be able to have faith that increases. But let's just point out a few things so that we'll understand as we move forward this morning. One, when he says increase our faith, it is obvious that there is faith there. But it's also obvious that there is the intention of maturity and growth. I hope everyone here has a degree of faith, but I hope no one here plans to close out this calendar year with the same measure of faith. As we look, Lord willing, to 2012, surely none of us would say we want to be the same person spiritually in 2012 that we are today. We want our faith to increase so that we can be more of what God wants us to do and to be. Now, 
notice this. He gives the mustard seed principle. And we'll develop this a little more tonight too. But look at verse 6 and 7. He says, so the Lord said, Here, here's our third duty that's been brought up. Not only to not offend and not only to forgive, but it's to increase in faith. This mustard seed principle. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Of which you, pause there, verse 6. Okay, now notice here, we have one of the smallest seeds that they ever worked with in the Middle East there. It, it, it would have been one of the smallest, the smallest seed that they would have planted regularly in either their crops or their herbs. And so here's this smallest seed, but when it grew, it was much larger than some of the other plants. You can take a stalk of corn, uh, a mustard bush or a mustard tree was so much larger. Oftentimes they could be 12 to 15 feet wide and 12 to 15 feet tall. Now you see the principle very clearly, don't you? One of the smallest seeds that they ever planted, they ever worked with, and it created one of the largest crops, if you will, that they ever harvested from. That's amazing. From the smallest to the largest. And that's why Jesus refers to the mustard plant when he talks about faith. Are we going to continue growing so that we could look back and say, isn't it amazing what God has done through us and through our faith from where we began to where we came over a life with God? Now, he talks about that moving the mulberry bush or tree. Have you ever tried to, to dig up one plant and, and plant it somewhere else? That is not an easy thing to do if the tree or the bush that you're moving is of any size. And here, notice, he doesn't say get your shovels, get a strong back or two. Here, he says you do it by your speaking. Now, what is he doing? Suggesting that we ought to be able to do this miraculously? No, his emphasis here is not on literally moving a bush or a tree and trying to plant that tree again in the middle of the sea. The emphasis is upon, as we would say, that seems impossible. Now the question is, will you do things of eternal worth that seem impossible? Will you have enough faith to be able to accomplish that? Because with God, all things are possible. I don't know what's flashed through your mind since we've been studying God's Word this morning. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive that has flashed through your mind and you've literally thought to yourself, it would be impossible for me to forgive them. This is the principle of having faith that can move a tree over and transplant it into the sea. Or another time Jesus taught on this, he says you have faith that can move a mountain and cast it into the sea. And so someone says, it's impossible to talk to a tree and get it to move into the water. But with God, it's not impossible. You may be thinking, it's impossible with some of the habits that I have to not be an offense to other people. With God, it's not impossible. Listen, the truth is, it's our duty. We have a responsibility, it is our duty. And so Jesus is about to give us a short parable. And in this parable, he is going to teach. And if we do not properly understand some of the things of the culture in that day, it might kind of detour or distract our thoughts 
so that it makes us miss the main point. So could I give you a couple of illustrations, if you will, that might help us to better understand, maybe even appreciate this parable that we're about to read, and then the lesson is yours. Today, we understand that when we sign up for a job, and I know we have various kind of job situations, so if you'll give me permission to just be kind of generic here, and you fit in however it would be at your workplace. But, but let's just say that you have been hired to work 40 hours, you're, you're expected to be there at 8 and leave at 5 and have an hour at lunch. Now, you know that that is expected of you. In other words, when you show up at 8, you know that there's not going to be a clapping ceremony when you walk in. Oh, look, we are so glad that you walked in at 8 this morning. Thank you so much for doing that. You, oh, you didn't have to do that. Thank you so much. It hadn't happened, has it? And you know that the boss is not going to come in every day at 2 o'clock and say, hey, everybody, gather around. Let's just get out of here. Let's just leave. Every day at 2 o'clock. Let's just leave. Everybody leave. I know you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'd like that. But you know they can't stay in business and do that. In other words, you understand. Like if you take yourself out of the employee role, you understand. You know what? This is the way it is. It is my duty. This is what is expected and required of me if I am to work here. This is my duty. So think about that. In a moment, we're going to read something that may seem unfair. But if it's what you were hired to do, and it was very fair in their culture, it's not unfair. So keep that in mind. Now let me introduce a second thing to you. What we actually see here is the idea of like a bond servant. And if you think, oh, that's a terrible thing, keep in mind in their day and time, when we read through the New Testament, we also see individuals that were only daily servants. And you remember what they had to do? They had to get up early in the morning and go to a common place in their community. Now just imagine this. Let's just make up a scenario. Let's imagine that that a man is kissing his wife goodbye at 5 o'clock in the morning. And she says, honey... Why are you leaving at five this morning? You know that they don't call people until six. And he says, honey, you know the last three mornings I've been there, there have been too many workers and I've come back home every day. Honey, if we do not get work in the next day or two, we're not going to be able to feed our children. I'm going to go at five this morning and I'm going to hope that there's a vineyard worker that wants to get an early start. And maybe there'll only be two or three of us there. And I want to be one of the ones there. Listen to this. I want to be chosen. I want to be the one to work today. Some of you know what it's like to want to work and not be able to work because of a job shortage or a situation like that. To become a bond servant where you know you have work on a daily basis, there was some very, very positive things about that. And so many servants in that day, like we would think of, oh, that's a terrible thing. They would have to show up every day They would be walking by all of those daily laborers that are just hoping to get work and they would be going straight to their workplace every day. And the truth is, they oftentimes probably had it better. I do not want you to misunderstand the comment that I'm about to make. The slavery that's associated with the United States of America was not right. 
But as a child growing up, many times I heard my grandmother talk about her grandparents having a couple of slaves. And when they were free, the slaves the same day came to them with tears in their eyes and asked, can we please stay here? You have been so good to us. We would love to stay and let everything be exactly as it has been. I realized that there were not those kind of relationships many, many times and that there needed to be some changes in America. But I give you that illustration for you to realize that there are many servant-type atmospheres that are a blessing to everyone involved. So I want you to read this with me now with that in mind. Do you want to be somebody struggling to find a job each day, or do you want to have a master that's fair? Don't you realize that we all have responsibilities, and to do our responsibility is not more than what should be demanded of us. It is exactly of what should be demanded of us. And so let's read this, and then if if we need to make even more points, maybe tonight we can come back and make these. Look at 7 and 8. He lays out the story. Jesus is making up this parable. And he says, which of you? See, he knows that they're going to know exactly what he's talking about because it was all around their culture. Which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. That would be just like bosses today saying, go home at 2 o'clock, everybody go home. The day's not over. In their tradition, this is a 3 o'clock meal. And this was when the servant that had dual responsibility, he worked part of the day outside and he worked part of the day inside. So when part of his day is done, he's not going to turn around and say, now, just sit down and eat with me. No, the servant still has work that is the expected duty that he is to do. So what's going to happen? Look, if you will, in verse 9. Um, Verse 8, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. So that was his duty. You work this part of the day outside in the field or or in, in with the flock. And then when you come in, you clean up. I don't I don't want my supper uh, smelling like the flock. And so you clean up, you gird yourself with different clothing, and and then you begin cooking a meal. And so when you come in from the field, I'm not going to say, sit down and eat with me. I'm going to expect what is your responsibility. I'm going to expect supper. Now, once you've done your day's work, then you sit down and you have supper. Let's keep reading here in 9. Does he think? That servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? It's almost like Jesus is sarcastic here. I think not. So likewise, now the spiritual application, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. How oftentimes do we believe that as Christians, we live such a faithful life that the Lord owes us something. We live such a faithful life that that really the Lord shouldn't ask more of us. And he says, wait a minute. Realize that even when you've done everything he's commanded, which is hypothetical because nobody's perfect, nobody could really do everything he's commanded. 
But even in a hypothetical situation, you've done everything commanded, you still are an unprofitable servant. In other words, you're never going to deserve the relationship with God. We are never going to deserve the the hope of heaven. We're never going to deserve the reward of heaven. So no matter how much we do, that is our duty to do, we still are unprofitable servants. So where that leaves us is asking ourselves, can we say this? We have done what is our duty to do. If you will notice, hardly ever will you hear me talk about the work of the church and the word volunteer. I believe that the word volunteer does not belong in God's kingdom. A volunteer is someone who doesn't feel completely obligated. Volunteers feel like they can come and go based upon their schedule and based upon their situation in life. Volunteers usually come in with very low expectations upon themselves. Volunteers many, many times, if not most times, work for personal gratification. Listen, just as the back of that fellow's shirt, notice that, notice that slant, please be nice, I'm a volunteer. You hear that? This organization owes me something. Do you realize how many hours I've volunteered? This organization owes me something. Do you realize how long I've taught Bible class here? Listen, you've got to be nice to me. You know how long I've been a deacon? I've been an elder? Do you know how long my family has been a part of this church? Do you know how long I've been a minister? Do you know what I have done for this church? You better be nice to me. You just don't know how much volunteer work I've done. Listen, there's not a person here in the Lord's kingdom that has volunteered in service. If you gave your life for Jesus Christ, everything you have done is your duty. And nobody, and especially not God, owes you a thank you. It's your duty. It's your duty. It is your duty. It comes with great expectation. And it comes with a willingness to lay down our life. And at the end of the day, when we have served the Lord, we do not close by saying, I hope somebody will tell me thank you. Please get this when we close. The next time you and I work our hardest day in the kingdom, will we close the day by saying, I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done what is my duty. Our duty is humility. To see the greatness of God for how great He truly is. And to be thankful that He invites us into His kingdom. Let's find our duty. And let's honor God by laying our life down for Him. We do owe honor to each other. The Lord teaches us that. But it's not our motive for service. This morning, 
Your duty is to lay your life before the Lord. Are you saved? Have you been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins? Believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, Son of God. You're willing to lay it all down before Him. You're willing to turn away from the world and come to Him. That's our duty. When we do it, it's not that we've done God a favor. It's that we've shown wisdom in whom we submitted our life to. A master who is gracious. Maybe you've begun that journey and you've lost the way. Maybe you've actually felt like there's a lot that's owed to you. This morning, are you humble enough to come back and say, I owe it all to God? If we can pray with you and for you, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.